right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, turn with me to Exodus. We're going to be looking at the book of Exodus, starting a new series on the I Am God. Now, there, a while back we did a series on the I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John, but this is from the book of Exodus, and I think you're going to enjoy that. And of course, if we're going to look at the book of Exodus, we've got to have a little chuck time. So let's take a look. When you think of Exodus, you probably think of this movie. They will stop for me. The charging chariot knows no rank. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the wilderness? Fear not! Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We must go with all speed. Yes. Go where? To drown in the sea? How long will the fire hold Pharaoh back? Will After this day, you shall see his chariots no more. No! You'll be dead under them. No. The Lord of hosts will do battle for us. Behold his mighty hand. Does it get any better than that? That's like the greatest actor on the planet. I mean, I was telling Chris earlier, I mean, you know you're a great actor when you can stand, you know, keep your own acting chops when you're playing against the greatest uh, ape costumes, you know, that were ever made. I mean, he, you know, he, he can act opposite apes. He can, he can act as Moses, the mighty Moses. In fact, Charlton Heston is such a powerful actor that when Steven Spielberg uh, was casting for the sheriff in Jaws, right? And so he thought about casting Charlton Heston, but he realized that the shark wouldn't have a chance in the scenes. And he's like, no, this guy's too powerful. He's too awesome. We cannot have him. So they settled for the other guy. Anyway, we have some good things to look at here in the book of Exodus. I, I was excited about doing this. 
we obviously this was the theme that we had at camp this year. Uh, your senior hires, I had the opportunity to uh, take them through uh, some of this material, and it, it just it impacted me personally. I know it impacted my wife. I think it impacted our counselors as well as the teens. And I thought it might be good for us to take a look at. We won't be looking at the whole book of Exodus as much as at the life of Moses, and more importantly, the God of Moses. And so, um, if you notice, what we're going to do today is, is just kind of go over the life of Moses. Kind of a, an overview of Exodus, an overview of the life of Moses, so that when we dive in, uh, we know kind of where we're going. Uh, his life was full of valleys and especially mountains. Uh, Moses' life had really low lows and really high highs, just like your life. There was good times, there were bad times, but his mountaintop experiences were amazing. And so what we're going to do is just kind of overview his life, get a familiarity with his life, so that as we move into the series uh, of the I Am God, we kind of know a little bit more about Moses. And next week, we'll dive in a little more into the question of who am I? So let's let's look at Moses' spiritual journey. You have a chart there at the top of your notes that's kind of an overview of Moses' life. And you can see there, uh, if you guys can get my pins, if you can see there, Moses' uh, life uh, can really kind of, it begins in the book of Exodus with him asking the question, who am I? Who am I? In fact, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, but Moses asked God, who am I? Who am I that you would choose me? Who am I to do great things on your behalf? Who am I to deliver Egypt or deliver Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? And then God answers in this fabulous way, I will certainly be with you. Moses says, who am I? And God says, it's not a matter of who you are. It's a question of who I am. I will certainly be with you. And we can see in this chart that there's a lot of reasons why Moses would wonder about his identity. And that's really what we're going to look at this week and next is really the identity of Moses. The struggle to answer the question, who am I? I mean, here's a guy who was born and then given up uh, in order to save his life, adopted, and then he he identifies with his ethnic uh, people, and then God calls him to do these amazing things. I mean, who am I? Well, when you think about Moses' life, it comes down to three segments. So if you always think, Moses, always think in terms of 40, 40, 40. So three, his life, he lived to be 120 years old, and his life neatly divides into three segments of 40 years. And in the first 40 years, as you see there in your chart, he was a prince of Egypt. He was a prince of Egypt, and that covers the first two chapters of Exodus. And in this time, he was a man of privilege. We'll talk more about that next week, but he was proud and self-sufficient. And then there came a turning point. And I put that up against the right side because it came at the end of these 40 years. At the end of the first 40 years, there came this turning point 
where he murdered an Egyptian for abusing a Hebrew. We'll talk a little more about that. So, first 40 years, what is Moses? A prince of Egypt. A prince of Egypt. Second 40 years, he's a shepherd in the wilderness. A shepherd in the wilderness. And this basically covers the next two chapters of Exodus. And here, Moses, God takes him into the wilderness. He has to flee as a fugitive from murdering the Egyptian. Pharaoh wants to kill him. And he is humbled and God-dependent. He goes from being proud and self-sufficient to being humble and God-dependent. And he spends 40 years. We don't know a lot about those years. The uh, Exodus 2 through 4 moves through them quickly. But we do know that another turning point came at the end of these 40 years. So the first 40 years, he's a what? A prince in... Okay, we can do better. Let's all do it together. He was a prince in Egypt. Excellent. Next 40 years, shepherd in the wilderness. He goes from being proud and self-sufficient to being humble and God-dependent. And the, and the turning point comes where he encounters the I am God. You see, he gets the, his identity issues settled, not exploring his own identity, not trying to discover it on his own, but an encounter with a burning bush, a bush that burns but is not consumed, and an encounter with the great I Am God. And in that burning bush encounter, God calls him to be a prophet on mission for him. And so that's the next 40 years where he is a prophet on mission. And guess where? on mission back in Egypt, and then back in the wilderness. And so let's review again. The first 40 years, he's a what? A prince in Egypt. 40. Shepherd in the wilderness. Prophet on mission, okay, in both Egypt and wilderness. Now let's all do it together. What is he again? A prince in Egypt. In the wilderness prophet on mission for God, and he becomes faithful and God obedient. And the turning point, in this case, the turning point comes at the end, where's my pins? At the end, the big turning point at the end of Exodus, end of the book of Exodus, the turning point is where the glory of God indwells the tabernacle. The glory of God. This book builds and builds over the course of, uh, of, of Exodus, and it ends in a climatic way. And our series will end with the glory of God descending and dwelling in the midst of Israel in the tabernacle. Now, let me give you just three observations, three observations that are a little application as we look at the life of Moses that we see here. First of all, notice that God, in His providential wisdom, brought together at the end of Moses' life everything that ever happened in his spiritual journey. At the end of his life, in the last 40 years, God brings together everything that he had been forming and shaping in Moses' life so that he could be on mission and fulfill the calling that God had for his life. So notice, he spends 40 years 
in the world, basically. Forty years in Egypt at the center of power and riches and resources. And he's living a charmed life, a privileged life. Then he goes from the top to the bottom. And he lives 40 years in the backside of the desert. But notice that at the end of his life, those first 80 years prepared him for what God wanted him to do in the last 40 years of his life. And God uses everything that came, the mountains, the valleys, the high times, the bad times, and he uses it all for his glory. So here's the good news for you. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know how many valleys you've had. I don't know how many mountaintop experiences you've had. I don't know if you're still in Egypt and you don't know the I Am God. Or maybe you know Him, but you feel like you're in the backside of the desert, abandoned and forsaken and wondering, hey, what are you doing, God? I don't know where you're at. But I know this. That God in His providence is going to use everything in your life up to this moment and beyond to fulfill His purposes. But like Moses, you've got to encounter Him and you need to be faithful and obey and follow Him. That's the key. So here's the good news. Your story ain't over until it's over. Your story is not over until it's over. His story wasn't over when he had to flee Egypt. His story wasn't over when he was in the backside of the desert. His story and your story isn't over until it's over. Second observation I want to make is that it often takes a lifetime for God to shape and mold the character that he wants in our lives to fulfill his purposes. It literally took God 80 years to prepare Moses for the last 40 years of his life. Okay, it took him 80 years to prepare Moses for the last 40 years of his life. And even when Moses turned 80, you know, at this point, when he turned 80 and began to be a prophet for God on mission, even then, God was still shaping his character through those uh, uh, frustrating, drive-you-crazy Israelites that he was trying to lead through the wilderness. So here's the here's the good news for you. Don't lose heart. God's not finished with you yet. Don't lose heart. God's not finished. So I don't know where you are in your story. Maybe you're not where you want to be. And none of us are where God ultimately wants us to be, but he's still working. There don't lose heart. God's not finished with you yet. Because here's the reality. All through this time, all through this time From the time he murdered, lost his temper, and murdered an Egyptian to the time here in the wilderness where he strikes a rock out of anger, Moses had a besetting sin his whole life. And his sin was anger. Anger. And so, I don't know what your besetting sin is. I know what mine are, but that's none of your business, so I won't share those, but... Uh, but you probably know them because they're, they're what we struggle with. And when you're in community and fellowship with one another, you figure out, hey, this is something that you're going to struggle with all your life. His besetting sin was anger, yet he was known, listen to this, he was known as the humblest man on the planet. Isn't that good news? So here's a guy who had anger issues his whole life. He struggled with them, and yet he was known as the humblest man on the planet. 
Um, but listen to this. His short fuse ultimately cost him the privilege of entering the promised land. Here's a guy whose whole mission was to lead uh, Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And because here in the wilderness he lost his temper again out of frustration with God's rebellious people, God told him to speak to the rock and out would come water. And anger, in his anger and frustration, he struck the rock. Didn't speak to it. He struck it and he struck it twice. And God said, I told you to speak to it. And because you represent me, and because they get a picture of my holiness in your behavior, listen, you have violated the picture of who I am, and there are consequences for that. And so Moses never got to enter the promised land. And so we just need to remember that God is working on us, And we must constantly battle with spiritual warfare. Don't give in to your besetting sin. Continually battle battle it with God's resources because there are consequences even for God's people who persist in their sins. Now, if you're called by God and you're in covenant relationship with Jesus, He's not going to send you to hell. It's not a judgment into hell, but it's discipline of a loving father. Well, Moses's spiritual journey, that's just kind of the chart. Moses asked God, who am I? And God answers, I will certainly be with you. And so what we're going to see uh, this week, but mostly next week, is that you will never be able to answer the question of who am I until you can answer the question of who is God. So let's take an overview of Moses's life. That's what we're going to do today. Let's take an overview and let's look at the valleys and the mountains in Moses' life. So, first thing we want to see, look at your notes. 40 years as the what? You can fill in these blanks. What is he? Prince. 40 years as the prince of Egypt who is proud and self-sufficient. So take a look in your Bibles and we'll look at the first two chapters of Exodus. Exodus 1 and 2. Now, Exodus picks up right where Genesis leaves off. And so upstairs, uh, Pastor Bruce is taking us through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And so this continues. So let me give you a little backstory here for Exodus. Genesis tells the epic story of creation and election. Genesis tells the epic story of, of, of creation and Election. What do I mean by that? Well, chapters 1 through 11 that we're going through is all about creation and the beginnings. And there's four key events. And that covers chapters 1 through 11. You know what those events are? What's the, how's the Bible begin? In the beginning, God? Yeah, so the first event is creation. And then what happens in chapter 3? The fall. And then what are we headed into right now? God, the humanity gets so sinful that there's the flood. And then finally, chapter 11 ends with the judgment on the Tower of Babel. And so that's really Genesis 1 through 11. Creation. Creation, fall, flood, tower. Now you got Genesis 1 through 11. 12 through 50, the rest of 12 through 50 
the key idea is election. God chooses a chosen people to bring his Messiah and save the world. And so those chosen people were introduced to the first one in Genesis 12. What's his name? Abraham, who has a son of promise, Isaac. And what's Isaac's son? Who? Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons, which are the tribes of Israel. But the focus in Genesis is on what son? Joseph. So there you go. Overview of Genesis, creation and election. God creates, man rebels. He rebels more, so there's a flood. He rebels again and tries to make a name for himself through a tower. God scatters the nations. And as he scatters the nations, it was a judgment and an act of grace so that they wouldn't unite again and he would have to destroy them. He, his desire is to save a people for himself out of all nations. And so he chooses Abraham. And he says, Abraham, in Genesis 12, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. And I'm going to give you the ultimate blessing. I will be your God. You will be my people. And so he goes through Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. But you know Joseph, what happens to him? Joseph is the favored one uh, of, of his uh, father, Jacob. The brothers are jealous. They sell him into slavery. And where does he end up? Egypt. Egypt. And because he's in Egypt, God uses him there in Egypt to rise to power to where he can provide grain because God knows there's coming a famine. And what ends up happening is Jacob and all his family, 70 of them, come to Egypt. And what's going to happen is way back here in, to Abraham, way back here in Genesis 15, as we're going to see, God tells Abraham how this is all going to happen. He says, look, I'm going to make of you a great nation, give you a land, and give you a, peop uh, give you a blessing of my presence in your midst. But you've got to understand, your family's going to spend 400 years, 400 years in bondage. God predicted that way back here. After those 400 years, I'm going to deliver you and judge the people who enslaved you. And so sure enough, we come to Exodus chapter 1, and that 70 people has come by most estimates to be 2 million people. They were fruitful and they multiplied. God blessed them because He hadn't forsaken them. And so in that 400 years, this 70 people became 2 million, and the Pharaoh, there was a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, and he says, we got two million people on our doorstep. And if we're not careful, they're going to rise up and overwhelm us. Guess what? Pharaoh was a son of God, Genesis 6. He was a tyrant, and he was trying to control and make a name for himself. And here God was fulfilling his promises to Abraham, making a name for himself through his people in Pharaoh freaks out. And so, turn your Bibles to Genesis 15. We'll see that promise. Genesis 15. Let's look at that promise just so you can see how this is all connected. So, Genesis 15, and let's look at verses 13 through 16. Genesis 15, 13 through 16. 
God predicted that His chosen people would live in exile in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. And He did so until the sins of the Canaanite people groups would reach the point of no return. And then God's judgment would fall and God's chosen people would be used to judge them and God's people would enter into the promised land. So let's look at Genesis 15, verse 13. God said to Abram, Know for certain... Know for certain, because when God says it, it will be. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Now, he doesn't predict the country. He doesn't say he knows it's Egypt, but he doesn't tell Abram that it is Egypt. They will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out. There's the idea. That's what exodus means. Exodus means to go out, to leave, to exit. You can hear it in the word exodus. They will come out with many possessions. In other words, they will plunder the people who enslaved them. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Okay, you don't have to worry about that. You're not. That's not going to happen to you, Abraham. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, 400 years later, your people will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Please understand, it's really hard in the, New Test- in the Old Testament. People struggle with God's judgment on the Canaanite people groups, but understand that God was gracious to them. He allowed them 400 years. But God already knew. He knew that they were going to continue to sin, continue to rebel. And so as Israel is in slavery and being oppressed, the Amorites and the Canaanites, their sin is increasing. And God's going to bring this all together for the fame of His name. And so Exodus tells the epic story of redemption. So if if Genesis is all about creation an election, then Exodus is all about God's redemption. Why? Because His people are in slavery. And they need to be delivered. They need to come out. They need to be redeemed. They need to be bought out of slavery. So, let's take a look at it. In chapter 1 of Exodus, in chapter 1, we see the first seven verses. In the first seven verses of Exodus 1, we see that the Hebrew slaves were being blessed by God, even in bondage, to be fruitful and multiply. Where have you heard that in Genesis? See, God's purpose is always for His people to be fruitful and multiply. He is blessing His people. So, if you're in a bad place, but you know God, listen, God can still bless you even when you're in a hard and difficult place. And so they became a mighty people. They became a force. Literally, the word mighty there in verses 1 through 7 means a force to be reckoned with. And in verses 8 through 10, a new Pharaoh shows up, a Pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph and doesn't really understand why this this army is multiplying on his doorstep. And so as a tyrant and a titan of sin, he freaks out and he fears them 
And he sees them as a force to be reckoned with. Then in verses 11 through 14, he says, well, here's what we got to do. So they won't become a mar army and overwhelm us. Let's make them slaves so we can control them. And so in verses 11 through 14, he seeks to control them. But even though he made their life hard and bitter and he made them work as slaves to build monuments to make a name for himself. See, there's that idea. Even though he does this, they continue to multiply because God's blessing could not be stopped. And so in verses 15 through 22, he comes up with this plan and he decides to exterminate the Hebrew people. And the way he's going to do that, he has the midwives. He tells the Hebrew midwives that when a baby is delivered, if it's a, if it's a girl, let it live. Because we can always exploit and abuse and take advantage of the women. Back to Genesis 6, right? But if it's a boy, kill him. Abort him. So that this nation cannot be multiplied. Well, the Hebrew women feared God rather than man. And they refused to do that. And Pharaoh called him in and said, Hey, I thought I told you to kill the boys. And he said, Look, I can't help it if Hebrew women are more vigorous and, 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 and mightier than Egyptian women, by the time we get there, they've already had their babies. Sorry, can't do anything about it. And so he said, okay, well, here's the deal. We're just going to kill them all. And we're going to kill every baby boy and throw them into the Nile. And so Moses' mother, and in God's providence, Moses' mother spares Moses, puts him in an ark. In the King James, it's translated ark. Puts him in a basket puts him out on the Nile. His sister Miriam follows to see where it goes. And in God's providence, the, the very daughter of Pharaoh finds the baby and adopts the baby. And so literally, Moses gets adopted into royalty. And Moses is basically set up to become the next Pharaoh of Egypt. All right, so that's where we are. Now, in verses, uh, look at chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, notice what it says. The child, or, uh, oh, by the way, also in chapter 2, uh, in God's providence, this is interesting, in God's providence, Pharaoh sees Moses' sister and says, go find a Hebrew to nurse this child. So who do you think Miriam goes to find to nurse the child? He goes to Mama. And so, literally, Moses, we'll talk more next week, Moses is nursed and raised his early years by his own mother. But notice what Pharaoh's daughter does in verse 10. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him, what? Moses, and said, because I drew him out of the water. The name Moses means to draw out. And he says, because I drew him out of the water, his name will be Moses. What's amazing is God's going to use Moses to draw the people, his people, out, draw them out of slavery. So those are the first uh, uh, 40 years. But the turning point comes. The turning point is murdering an Egyptian. He murders an Egyptian for abusing a Hebrew because here's what's interesting, and this is, as much as I love the Ten Commandments and Chuck Heston, 
uh, the movie gets things right, it gets it really right. And when the movie gets things wrong, from a biblical perspective, it gets it really wrong. And in the movie, uh, Charlton Heston as Moses doesn't know he's a Hebrew until he finally discovers it right at the end of this four years. But the reality is Moses knew all along that he was Hebrew and not Egyptian. And he had a sense of God's call on his life that he would be a deliverer of God's people. The problem is when he saw an Egyptian abusing one of his people, another Hebrew or a Hebrew slave, he murdered the Egyptian. He tried to deliver God's people in his own power with his own wisdom, and that never works. It's great to be for social justice. It's great to try to counter injustices. But when we try to counter those injustices in the world's way, with the world's wisdom, and with our own power, things go very bad. And so he, tr- he murders the Egyptian and hides him, thinking no one saw him. But in reality, the next day, two Hebrew slaves are fighting. And again, Moses, with the deliverer uh, calling on his life, says, Hey, guys, don't fight against one another. And the one Hebrew says to him, What, you going to kill me like the Egyptian? And then Moses freaked out because he knew that his sin of murder was known. And so he flees Egypt. He flees Egypt, and Pharaoh wants to kill him for having... Because it was like a capital... It was a capital offense for anyone to kill an Egyptian. And so that brings us to number two, 40 years as a what? As a shepherd. Yeah, 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness. And so this proud and self-sufficient guy who says, look, I'm going to deliver the people in my own in my own strength and in my own power, my own wisdom, gets humbled and becomes a shepherd in the wilderness. And that's what Exodus 2 is about. Exodus 2 is about 40 years in the wilderness. He finds his wife. He has two sons. But then comes the turning point, the burning bush. Here's the turning point. Encountering the I am God in a burning bush. Encountering the I am God in a burning bush. And that's in Exodus 3. And that's where he says, hey, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. Now, here's what's interesting about Moses' life. I said it's valleys and mountains, right? Well, the latter part of his life is determined by all these mountaintop experiences. And so, when he, when he sees the burning bush, he's on the top of a mountain that is called Horeb, but it is later called Sinai, where he gets the... Ten Commandments, all right? So he encounters God, and he has this calling on his life. And it changes everything. It changes everything. Because here's the thing. These 40 years in the wilderness, he's a shepherd, but you know what he's learning? He's learning how to be a sheep. He's learning how to follow God. See, the world taught him how to be a leader in the world's eyes. But God needed to prepare him to be a leader in God's eyes. And God's leaders don't lead by force and intimidation. They lead by servanthood. And so the shepherd learns how to be a sheep in God's flock. Isn't that good? He learns to be a servant leader. And God reveals himself to him 
on this mountain. And so he learns and he becomes, in this mountaintop experience, God calls him to the next 40 years of his life to be a prophet. So let's look at that. Number three, 40 years as the what? As the prophet on mission in Egypt and wilderness. So the rest of Exodus 4 to the end of the book of Exodus, here's what's wild, is Moses' life is covered in the rest of what's called the Pentateuch. Do you, anybody know what Pente means? Pente means five, the five books. So Moses shows up in Exodus chapter 1, and he goes through all of Exodus, and then he goes to Leviticus, and then what? Numbers, and then what's the last one? Deuteronomy. And the last chapter of Deuteronomy, which is what? Chapter, what's the last chapter? 34, Moses dies in the last chapter. All right? And so what's interesting is, along the way, Moses has these mountaintop experiences because guess what? He, goes, he leads the people back to Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments. Well, first he goes back to Egypt, doesn't he? And he has the ten plagues. And he leads them out through the wilderness, back to Mount Sinai again to receive the ten commandments. And then they wander through the wilderness. And then guess what happens? Along the way in the wilderness, here in, uh, actually it's in Numbers, he, in anger he strikes the rock again. And so, when you come to the end of Deuteronomy, God takes him up to another mountain. It's called Mount Nebo, or in some of your books, or some of your translations, Pisgah. I like Nebo better because I can say it better. God takes him up on another mountain and says, look, you don't get to enter the promised land, but you get to see it from the top of this mountain. So, here's Moses' life. Mountains and valleys. Mountains and valleys. Well, here's the turning point. The turning point of this 40 years comes at the end where God's glory indwells. So that's what you want to put in your blank. The turning point is where God's glory, the dwelling of the glory of God, the dwelling of the glory of the I am God. That's how Exodus ends. And it fills the tabernacle. And it's just the most amazing chapter. It's just, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to look at it. And so, for the rest of the Pentateuch, God's glory travels with God's people. God's glory travels in God's, with God's people. Now, you've got to understand. Let me say this. You've got to understand. The glory of God dwelling with His people is what explains the rest of the five books of Moses. Because here's the deal. If God's glory is going to dwell, if His holy glory is going to dwell with unholy people, how is that going to happen? Leviticus answers that question. Leviticus answers the question, how can a holy God dwell in the midst of unholy people? That's all that Leviticus is about. Numbers is all about what will a holy God do 
when the people he dwells with rebel against him. That's what Numbers is all about. What will a holy God do when the people he dwells among rebels against him? And it's not pretty. They don't get to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy is seeking to answer the question, how can an unholy people keep breaking God's holy law and yet remain his people? And Deuteronomy points you to the rest of the Bible. Do you realize that Jesus quoted Deuteronomy again and again and again in the New Testament? Because Deuteronomy points to the king that would be coming, Jesus. Points to the prophet that was greater than Moses, Jesus. To the priest who was greater than the Levitical priest, Jesus. And so God's glory in the midst of his people explains really the rest of the Bible. Now, there's one last mountain. There's one last mountain that's mentioned about with Moses. Does anybody know what that mountain is? It's in the New Testament. And you find it in Luke chapter 9. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. I told you that Moses' life was all valleys and mountains. Valleys and mountains. And the last we see Moses in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 34. God takes him up on a mountain right before he dies... And he says, look at the promised land. And then the Bible says, Moses buried... How would you like God to be your funeral director? God buried Moses and no one ever could, no one ever knew where he was buried. That's the last, last we see of him until we come to Luke chapter 9. And this is called the Mount of Transfiguration. Mount of Transfiguration. And so we're in Jesus' life. And look at 9... 28 in 9:28 Well let's look at verse 27. Notice Jesus says, "But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God." Now he didn't mean the kingdom of God was going to come literally yet. What he meant was some 8 days after. Look at verse 28. He took along Peter and John and James and they went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. Guess what? His humanity is pulled back and the glory of God revealed on the mountain is revealed in Jesus for a brief moment. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which is the word for exodus, his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. In other words, his death, his burial, and his resurrection out to what? To deliver us from the bondage to sin. Isn't that beautiful how it all fits together? And why is Moses and Elijah there? Because Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And basically what's happening is Jesus is consulting and they're rejoicing that all that was promised in the Old Testament is about to begin to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? All right, so let me end with this. Again, this is just introduction. Why study 
the I Am God. Let me give you four things that you can look forward to in this series. So this is why you need to keep coming. First thing is this. We need to understand God's revelation of Himself better. We need to understand God's revelation of Himself better. The book of Exodus has some of the greatest revelations of God's character, self-revelations, where God, like Jesus did on the Mount of Transfiguration, where God just reveals and says, here's who I am. In fact, Moses says, I want to see your glory. And Moses and God says, if I'm going to show you my glory, you die. So I'm just going to show you my backside. So he kind of just gives him a little flash, a little backside. Just, that's what he says. Showed, Jim, it's in the Bible. It says he showed him his backside. And he had to hide him in the cliff of a rock. I mean, so you, we can just get the barest glimpse, but we get some of the great self-revelations. Exodus 3, which we're going to study in two weeks. Exodus 6. Exodus 34, which we'll get to in this series. You're going to encounter the I Am God in the weeks to come. And this study is going to be history, yes. you got a lot of history today, okay? Some of you don't like history, so you're like, oh, this is killing me. But listen, in the history, God reveals Himself. We're going to be looking at biblical, and we're going to look at some theology, and it's, it's, just, and it's, it's just going to be good, because God's going to reveal Himself. Number two, we need to understand God's redemption better. We need to understand God's redemption better. What did I say Exodus was all... What was Genesis about? Let's see if we learn anything today. What was Genesis? Key word, two key words. Creation, 1 through 11, and election, 12 through 50. 50. But what's the key in Exodus? Redemption. And so this book is full of God's redemption. I said Moses' name means one who draws out. God's going to use him to draw his people out of bondage. And it's a picture of Jesus delivering us out of our bondage to sin. The name of God is revealed in Exodus. That's point number one. But the Lamb of God is revealed in Exodus as well. And that's point number two. The Lamb of God and how God takes away the sin of the world. Here's the good news for you. Because I think this covers everybody in this room. You will encounter the I am God who rescues and redeems the enslaved, the abused, the broken, and the hopeless. Did I cover everybody? That's us. This is going to be Christological. We're going to focus on Christ. We're going to see Christ in the Old Testament. Number three, we need to understand God's mission better. We need to understand God's mission. Please understand that God doesn't reveal himself. And God doesn't rescue you or me so that we can live any old way we want. God didn't reveal himself to Moses so that Moses could come down and waste his life in doing his own thing. He called Moses to be on mission. That's why I called the last 40 years on mission for God. And so please understand that God doesn't take Israel, this is what they did not, they didn't get this. God took Israel out of Egypt that they might be on mission for Him, and they, they kept wanting to go back to Egypt. Can you and I relate to that? We say we're saved, but we keep being drawn back to the world's ways. But God wants you to be on mission. 
And so what's going to happen in this series is you're going to find that you will encounter the I am God who calls you out of bondage to serve him as his firstborn son with all those rights and privileges. You know, again and again, God said to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may go into the wilderness three days and worship me. They were to be a worshiping people that the nations would see God is in their midst. They live different from us. We want to know your God. And guess what? There's a lot of parallels to our mission, except we're not supposed to just gather. We're to gather and scatter. Okay. Number four, we need to understand God's provision better. We need to understand God's provision. Here's the good news. As God dwells in their midst, God is providing them. I mean, think about that. They're going through the wilderness. Where are you going to get water? God says, strike the rock, speak to the rock. I will bring water out of rock. They say, where are we going to eat? We're in a wilderness. And God says, I'll bring bread from heaven. They say, hey, we're in the wilderness. There's a lot of snakes in the desert. I can heal a snake bite. I can counter and I can provide for you every step of the way. Now, in this series, we're not going to study the the ten plagues. We're not going to study manna from heaven. We're not going to study those miracles. But please understand, the I am God can take you through every struggle, every valley, and, and, he, and He'll provide mountaintop experiences so that you can know who He is, so that you can answer the question, who am I, and be on mission for Him. Isn't that cool? That's just exciting stuff. So come back next week and we'll, we'll delve into that a little more. We'll answer the question. Next week we're going to answer the question, who am I? And we're going to talk about identity. And I think you're going to enjoy that. Let's pray. Father, we come. Uh, we covered uh, 120 years of Moses' life. We covered the first five books of the Bible. But at the end of the day, it's all about how you are with us in the valleys, in the mountains of our spiritual journey. I pray for each person here that it is stirred in their heart to figure out, where am I? Am I, am I on a mountaintop right now? Am I in a valley right now? And do I know this God who wants to reveal himself to me? Do I know this God who wants to rescue me? Do I know this God who wants me to be on mission with him and for him, for the joy of all peoples, Mongolians, Argentines, Filipinos, Americans, whether they're immigrants, refugees, whether they're strangers or exiles. Moses experienced that. The people of Israel experienced being enslaved and exiles. And Lord, we've been exiles and enslaved to sin. There's a story for all of us. And so I pray that we'll come back next week and and continue to grow closer to you as a result of this study. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Who knows? Charlton Heston may show up again next week.